Well, hey, everybody, I'm Adam Shell, the pastor at Melbourne Heights, and welcome to our sermon podcast. Right now at Melbourne Heights, we are in the middle of a sermon series called I Believe, where we're talking about what we as Christians, as followers of Jesus, believe. So over the last couple of weeks, we've explored what it means for us to believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And we've talked about what it means for us to believe in Jesus Christ. Well, today we're going to be digging deeper into what it means for us to believe in the Holy Spirit. But in order for us to really understand what it means for us to believe in the Holy Spirit, we've got to take a little bit of a different approach. So let's get right into this episode sermon, and you'll see what I mean. So over the last few weeks here at Melbourne Heights, we have been talking about what we as Christians believe. And to help us as we explore the essential beliefs of our faith, those beliefs that make us as Christians Christians, we've been turning to a statement of beliefs that has been used by fellow Christians for almost 1,600 years to summarize what these essential beliefs of our faith are. And the statement of beliefs that we have been looking at is called the Apostles' Creed. So I just want to share with you what the Apostles' Creed says again today. It says, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven, is seated at the right hand of the Father, and will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy universal church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Now, I've said this every week during the sermon series, but it's still worth repeating again today. Even though the Apostles' Creed has been used for 1,600 years to summarize our faith, there is no creed, there is no confession, there is no statement of beliefs that can ever completely capture what we as Christians, as followers of Jesus, believe. And that's because the essence of our faith is, is belief in a person, the person of Jesus Christ, and not just in a statement of beliefs. But even though the Apostles' Creed cannot completely capture everything that we believe as Christians, it can help us explore what the essential beliefs of our faith are. So over the last couple of weeks, we've used the Apostles' Creed to help us explore what it means for us to believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And we've used the Apostles' Creed to help us explore what it means for us to believe in Jesus Christ. And today, the Apostles' Creed is going to help us as we explore what it means for us to believe in the Holy Spirit. But you may have noticed, as I read the Apostles' Creed for you, that this creed doesn't actually say much about the Holy Spirit at all. As a matter of fact, at best, the Apostles' Creed uses six words to talk about the Holy Spirit when it says, I believe in the Holy Spirit. But regardless of how many words or how few words the Apostles' Creed uses when it talks about the Holy Spirit, as a Christian, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Now, we've done this every week, so we're going to do it again today. I'm going to have you repeat this with me, okay? We'll say it on three. Ready? One, two, three. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Say it again. I believe in the Holy Spirit. One more time like you really believe it. I believe in the Holy Spirit. But what do we believe about the Holy Spirit? Now, 
Over the last couple of weeks, as we've talked about and explored what it means for us to believe in God the Father and in Jesus Christ, we have dug deeper into theological and doctrinal statements to help us understand what we believe about both of them. But as I've worked on this sermon and as I've thought about the Holy Spirit, I've realized that there is no theological or or, or doctrinal statement that really works to define who the Holy Spirit is. As a matter of fact, trying to define the Holy Spirit using theological and doctrinal statements is a little bit like trying to nail jello to the wall. No matter how hard you try to nail down the Holy Spirit with one of these statements, it just kind of keeps slipping away. So if we want to understand what we believe about the Holy Spirit, we have to try a different approach today. So here's what I want you to do this morning. I want you to imagine yourself in first century Israel. Imagine that the day is just beginning, and you are standing just outside the gates of the city of Jerusalem. Now, you've heard stories about this legendary place your entire life. So you have spent years dreaming of seeing the splendor of the temple in Jerusalem with your own two eyes. You have spent years imagining the opulence of Pilate's palace. You have spent years envisioning what the priests will look like as they stand in all of their regalia in the courts surrounding the temple. You've spent years fantasizing about what it would be like to walk along the very same streets that King David once danced through. And now, you're here. With one final step, you cross through the gates of the city of Jerusalem, And as you look around, you see that there are Roman soldiers basically everywhere you turn. And all of these Roman soldiers seem to be focused on you as you enter in through the gates. So you give a tug on the rope that you have harnessed around your donkey, urging him to move a little bit faster to get you away from the prying eyes of the empire. Because you don't want one of these low-level soldiers to stop you and search your stuff because you had to pack a lot of stuff for this trip so it will take hours before they finish, because you had to pack along your outer cloak and an extra tunic to keep you warm at night. You had to pack along all of the bedding that you would sleep on as you set up camp underneath the starry skies. You had to pack along all of the food that you would need for every day along this journey, not just for you, but also for your donkey. You had to pack along an extra pair of sandals to help keep your feet protected from the heat of the desert sand. You had to pack along plenty of extra vessels of water to make sure that you stayed hydrated. And you may have even packed along a wineskin or two. Simply put, you had to pack along everything that you might possibly need for this entire trip because it's not like you were going to walk past a Walmart on your way to Jerusalem. And what a trip it had been. You had set out weeks earlier from your home along the Persian Gulf. You had spent days on end walking along the banks of the Euphrates River before you finally turned south and started heading for Jerusalem. Now that you've arrived at your destination, you realize that this trip has taken its toll on you. Your donkey is flat out exhausted after walking for hundreds of miles. And you, well, you've been run pretty ragged yourself. Your feet ache, your back hurts, Your skin is burnt from all the time you've spent underneath the desert sun. So now that you've arrived in the long-awaited city of Jerusalem, all you really want to do is find a bathhouse so you can get yourself cleaned up. And fortunately for you, there's a bathhouse that you find that's not too far away from the Temple Mount. 
So you go there and you begin the process of ceremonially cleansing yourself because you came to Jerusalem for a reason. You came for a religious festival. You came to celebrate alongside of your people. You came to remember the time that the law was handed down from Mount Sinai, the official birthday of the nation of Israel. You came to celebrate something that's called the Festival of Weeks. So, after spending a little bit more time than usual bathing and washing yourself so that you were ceremonially clean, you get dressed and you head back out into the city. You start making your way to the temple again. As you set out, you set out barefooted, allowing the smooth stone of the streets of Jerusalem to soothe the calloused soles of your feet. As you walk along, you allow your fingers to run across the outer walls of people's homes as you pass by. And from time to time, you stop and listen to what's happening on the other side of those walls. You can hear children playing in the courtyards behind their houses. You can hear their mothers working in the kitchen, grinding down the grain that will be that day's daily bread. Stop long enough, you can even smell the savory aroma of lamb that's boiling in the pots in these kitchens. As each home prepares a feast that is worthy of the festival, you've all come to celebrate. As you approach the final turn before making it to the temple grounds, you almost feel like you're home. And then, with one final step, you're there. You arrive in the court surrounding the temple. And almost immediately, you are overwhelmed by all the sights, all the sounds, all the smells that make up your faith's most holy and sacred place. Now, it's hard for us living in the 21st century to fully appreciate just how amazing it would be to set foot in the temple in first century Israel. But it would have felt better than standing in the National Mall, somewhere between the Lincoln Memorial and the U.S. Capitol Building. It would have felt better than standing at the base of the Empire State Building and looking up at that architectural marvel. It would have felt better than going and visiting Mount Rushmore, or even seeing Cinderella's Castle for the very first time. Because when you arrived at the temple in first century Israel, you weren't just arriving at an important political place or a tourist attraction, and you definitely weren't visiting the most magical place on earth. But when you arrived at the temple in the first century, you were arriving at the doorstep of the divine. You are arriving at a place where you can meet God, encounter God, and have your life change forever. So after stopping, where you entered into the temple courts, and standing and taking it all in for a few minutes, you begin moving forward again. But this time, instead of moving forward like a tired traveler who has been on the road for weeks and traveled hundreds of miles, well, now you're moving through the crowd at the pace of an excited child because you're excited to go and meet one of the priests that you find in the courts surrounding the temple. You're excited to sit at this priest's and listen as this priest teaches you about God. You're excited to hear everything that they have to say. So as you finally reach the first priest that you find in the courtyard, your excitement is about to bubble over, and you thrust your hand out in greeting to this priest and begin to introduce yourself. The priest extends his hand to return the greeting and begins to speak to you. But as he opens his mouth and begins to talk, 
can't understand a single word that he says. In an instant, all of your excitement turns into confusion. So you do your best to tune out all of the background noise that surrounds you in those temple courts. You even cup your ear to help amplify the sound as the the priest speaks to you. But no matter what you do when the priest speaks, you still can't understand a word that he's saying. So you start to wonder if maybe you ran into a priest who is visiting the temple from out of town too. Or maybe you found a priest that is from some far off region and speaks with a thick, heavy accent that you just can't understand. So even though you don't speak the same language, even though you can't understand what the priest is saying, you politely excuse yourself and you move on to talk to another priest. You make, it, you make your way to the other priest. You extend your hand in greeting once again. You introduce yourself. The second priest begins speaking to you, but once again, you can't understand anything that the priest says. One by one, you make your way through the crowded courtyards, dodging all of the other travelers that are visiting that place to meet every priest that you see in that place. And one by one, you find that you can't understand what any of these saying you. After you meet and talk with the final priest, you're on the verge of tears. And as you turn around and you start heading back toward the entrance into the temple courts, you can't hold back your emotions anymore. The tears start running down your cheeks. And this entire trip feels like it has been a complete, total waste. You had come to this place expecting that you would encounter God here. None of the religious leaders, none of the priests that you met were able to speak your language. So now all you want to do is to go back to that post where you left your donkey tied up, untie him, and get on the road, and head back to the place that you came from. You're so dejected by the entire experience. The last place you want to be in the world is this place you dreamt your entire life of visiting. As the sun continues to rise that morning, it starts beating down on your skin again as you make your way back to the gates of the city of Jerusalem. Feeling so disappointed, so uncertain about everything that has happened. All you can do is replay the scenes that had just taken place in the temple courts in your mind again. Now you're moving much slower than you had before at a virtual snail's pace. And with every little baby step you take forward, you replay one of your meetings with one of the priests. And as you replay and remember everything that happened, you feel more and more upset. Because this trip, this trip to Jerusalem, was supposed to be special. This trip to Jerusalem was supposed to bring you to the doorsteps of the divine. This trip to Jerusalem was supposed to allow you to encounter God and have your life changed by God forever. But now you feel like God is farther away than God has ever felt before. And all you feel is alone in the world. Can you imagine that? Can you picture yourself in that story? Can you feel the disappointment, the uncertainty, the isolation? Can you put yourself in that place? 
Now, I know that it may feel like you've just fallen victim to the overactive imagination of your preacher this morning. But as unbelievable as it may be, scenes like this one, they may have played out every single day in the city of Jerusalem. Jews from all over the world would have come to Jerusalem to visit the temple there to have a chance to encounter God in that place. But once they arrived from wherever they called home, there was no guarantee that these people would meet anyone in that place who could actually speak their native language. That's almost impossible for us to imagine today. Because just about everywhere we go and just about everyone we meet speaks the same language that we do. So it's hard for us to even begin to fathom disappointment, the uncertainty, the isolation, that religious pilgrims would have felt as they traveled to the temple in the first century. That's part of what makes the passage of Scripture that we're going to be looking at in just a minute so powerful today. The story is so powerful today that I want you to hear it through fresh ears. So I'm actually going to read it to you from a translation of the Bible that we don't use very often. The translation I want to read to you from is called The Voice. And I want to use this translation because The Voice tries to really put you into the story that takes place. So today, instead of putting the words up on the screen so that you can follow along as I read this passage of Scripture, I just want you to listen to the story that takes place in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Here's what it says. When the holy day of Pentecost came 50 days after Passover, They were gathered together in one place. Picture yourself among the disciples. A sound roars from the sky without warning, the roar of a violent wind, and the whole house where you are gathered reverberates with sound. Then a flame appears, dividing into smaller flames and spreading from one person to the next. All the people are filled with the Holy Spirit and begin speaking in languages they've never spoken as the Spirit empowers them. Because of the holy festival, there are devout Jews staying as pilgrims in Jerusalem from every nation under the sun. They hear the sound, and a crowd gathers. They are amazed because each of them can hear the group speaking in their native languages. They are shocked and amazed by this. The pilgrims say, wait just a minute, aren't all of these people Galileans? How in the world do we all hear our native language is being spoken? Look. There are Parthians here and Medes, Elamites, Mesopotamians, and Judeans, residents of Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygians and Pamphylians, Egyptians and Libyans from Cyrene, Romans including both Jew, Jews by birth and converts, Cretans and Arabs. We're each in our own languages hearing these people talk about God's powerful deeds. Their amazement became confusion as they wondered, what does this mean? Some of the skeptics said, It doesn't mean anything. They're all drunk on some fresh wine. As the twelve stood together, Peter shouted to the crowd, Men of Judea and all who are staying here in Jerusalem, listen, I want you to understand. These people aren't drunk like you might think. Look, it's only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this isn't drunkenness. This is the fulfillment of the prophecy of Joel. Hear what God says. In the last days, I will offer my spirit to humanity as a libation. Your children will boldly speak the word of the Lord. Young warriors will see visions and elders will dream dreams. Yes, in those days I shall offer my spirit to all servants, both male and female, and they will speak boldly my word. 
And in the heaven above and on the earth below, I'll give signs of impending judgment, blood, fire, and clouds of smoke. The sun will become a void of darkness and the moon will become blood. Then the great and dreadful day of the Lord will arrive and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be liberated into God's freedom and peace. Now I want you to imagine yourself in first century Israel again. You're still making your way back to the gates that surround the city of Jerusalem. You're still feeling disappointed. You're still feeling uncertain. You're still feeling alone. You're still wondering how it was possible that you could enter into the courts outside of the temple and not meet a single soul that spoke the same language that you do. Still wondering how you were ever supposed to encounter God in this place. But as you walk along, making your way back to the gates outside of the city, all of a sudden, you hear something that causes your ears to perk up immediately. You start straining so that you can hear it better, and the harder you listen, the more convinced you become that someone somewhere in this city is speaking your language. And they're not just speaking your language, they're also talking about God. In your excitement, you drop the rope that you have harnessed around your donkey and you go running through the streets of the city as fast as you possibly can in search of this voice. And as you round one final quarter, you practically plow into the person that you heard speaking your language. You're so overwhelmed to finally meet someone in this place that can speak your language. All you can do is stop and listen to them talk. And as they speak, they talk about God made human, a living, breathing person who is both fully God and fully man. You listen as they continue to talk, and they talk about a God that you could have met face to face, a God that you could have had a real conversation with. They talk about a God who knows what it meant and what it means to be fully human. They talk about a God who knows what it's like to experience disappointment and uncertainty and isolation firsthand. Then they go on to talk about a God who willingly laid down his life for you. A God who experienced the very worst that humanity has to offer. Being betrayed, rejected, denied, isolated, tortured, and even killed. They talk about a God that conquered death, that rose from the grave, a God that came back to life to save us to forgive us, all of us, every wrong we've ever done. No better words that you could have heard if you were walking through the streets of the city of Jerusalem that day. There's no better news that can be shared with you even to this day. All of that's possible because of the Holy Spirit. And that's because The Holy Spirit is God's presence at work upon you and within you. The Holy Spirit is God's presence at work upon you and within you. And this is exactly what happens in the story that we just heard from the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit is at work upon all of the people that gather in the crowds around the, the disciples that day to hear the good news of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is also at work within the disciples, allowing them to somehow, some way, share the good news of Jesus 
in a way that each and every person in that crowd could understand for themselves. Now, I told you at the beginning of this sermon series that we're not just talking about what we as Christians believe. We're also talking about why these beliefs matter to us. We've heard the story that explains who the Holy Spirit is. Let me take a second to explain why Spirit matters. All of this matters because the Holy Spirit lets us know God for ourselves and lets us share God with others. The Holy Spirit matters because the Holy Spirit lets us know God for ourselves and lets us share God with others. So to put this as simply as I can for you, without the Holy Spirit, none of us are gathered together worshiping today whether you're here in person or worshiping with us online. Without the Holy Spirit, the good news of Jesus is never shared. Without the Holy Spirit, none of us ever hear or have the chance to receive the gospel. Without the Holy Spirit, none of us ever get to tell this good news. So who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is the presence of God at work upon us and within us. The Holy Spirit matters. Because the Holy Spirit lets us know God for ourselves and lets us share God with other people. So let us be thankful. God has chosen to interact with us the way that God does through us, allowing us to meet God, hear about God for ourselves. Let us be thankful that we can all say that we believe in the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. God, as we come to you in this time of prayer, we are thankful for the story that we heard today from Acts chapter 2. We're thankful for the reminder who the Spirit is, how the Spirit works in our world. God, we know that the Apostles' Creed, it does not say a whole lot about the Spirit. And sometimes we in the church are hesitant to talk about the Holy Spirit because it's so hard for us to wrap our minds around who the Spirit is. God, remind us. Spirit is your presence at work in our lives and upon our lives. And the Spirit is the one who allows us to know you for ourselves. God, we're thankful for you. We pray that your Spirit has been at work in each of us throughout our time of worship today. That we've all had the chance to encounter you. Pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hey, it's Adam again, and I just want to thank you for tuning in to this episode of our sermon podcast. And I hope that today's episode has helped you better understand who the Holy Spirit is and why the Holy Spirit matters to us. The Holy Spirit is what allows us to encounter God for ourselves and to share God. Well, in our next episode, we're going to be putting together everything that we've talked about during the first three episodes of the series. We're going to be putting together what we've learned about believing in God the Father, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit all together. And we're going to be talking about what it means for us to believe in the Trinity. So we hope that you'll come back and join us when our next episode drops next Tuesday morning. As always, if you subscribe to our podcast, that episode will be sent straight to your favorite podcasting app. And while you're in that app, make sure that you leave a rating and review for our podcast 
podcast to help spread the word and help us share this podcast with other people. And also remember that you don't have to wait for our next episode to drop. You can always join us on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time online at mhbclouisville.com slash live. We'd love to have you join us. Well, until next time, I hope that you have a great week. I'll be praying for you, and we'll see you back here soon for another sermon podcast.